Welcome to Power Plays, a CoBank Knowledge Exchange podcast series, an audio program where we connect you with top energy and environmental innovators who share their insights, experience, and market observations. Hello, I'm Terry Vishwanath. I'm the lead economist for Power, Energy, and Water at CoBank. I'm joined today by co-host and CoBank Regional Vice President, Tamara Reynolds. Hey, Tamara. Hey, Terry. So we finally get to host a podcast where we get to talk about electric vehicles, right? Almost every conversation that I have with a customer these days really involves the topic of electric vehicles and when we might see adoption begin to take hold in rural communities. There is going to be a record number, almost 100 pure electric models, and they're going to set to debut within the next three years. These more affordable models have the potential to sway a significant percent of car buying public, including rural consumers, toward buying their first EV. With the efficiency, performance, and lower ownership costs, well, they're likely to continue to buy EVs. For our rural electric co-op listeners, how are you going to prepare for the possibility that the time has finally come when your members are going to be driving electric vehicles and they're going to be looking to you as their primary refueling station? Because let's be super clear here, at-home charging is convenient and it's mostly inexpensive. So most plug-in EV drivers, they're going to do maybe 85%, maybe more of their charging at home. And if they don't charge at home, when they get to work, that's probably where they're going to plug in. And that office site, well, the office site is probably still in your service territory and you're going to have to serve them. I've seen a number of forecasts that suggest that 10% of all new car sales will be electric in less than five years. Now, can you imagine there's roughly 17 million cars that are sold in the U.S. every year? What if one or two million of those cars could become electric? The average electric vehicle requires 30 kilowatt hours to travel 100 miles, the same amount of electricity an average American home uses each day to run appliances, computers, lights, and heating and air conditioning. If you live in a rural community, chances are that you're driving about 40 miles a day, and that's about 10 miles more than someone living in the suburbs. But don't worry. For the first of our two-part Evolution podcast series this month, we caught up with Brian Sloboda, the Director of Consumer Services with NRECA, to understand how the association is supporting its co-op members with their planning and executing around electric vehicles. Here's that discussion. What we discovered is that there are co-ops that are seeing higher levels of EV penetration than others. Uh, Those suburban co-ops, those co-ops with higher income members are seeing EV adoption at a faster rate. And so what we decided to do is offer uh, tailored solutions for those individual cooperatives on a fee-for-service basis, uh, but also for co-ops that are looking into the future two, three, five years down the road and want to plan for EVs. And, And that is really the big thing from a distribution engineering perspective from a member engagement perspective. It's about planning, having that plan, executing the plan, and then changing the plan as this fast moving world of EVs uh, continues to evolve. Yeah, that's a that's a great intro to that, Brian. So how might it be helpful for a co-op to develop a program with NRECA? What are some specifics that you guys work on? First and foremost, the starting point is creating a strategic plan. Uh, you have to know what you want to do and where you want to go uh, with your EV program. Because it's not just about residential EVs, it's light duty EVs, it's also about fleets. Uh, But after the strategic plan, what we're able to do is help co-ops manage a pilot 
And typically that pilot is going to be around managed charging. How do you get the charge off of peak and into the middle of the night? Several different ways to do it. There is no one size fits all approach. Uh, and it's really going to be guided by demographics, by the previous technology investments of the co-op, and really how the co-ops want to engage their members on this particular issue. And we even get down into you know, the consumer segmentation. Uh, we've developed a segmentation tool that can predict who's going to adopt uh, technologies like electric vehicles or uh, things like rooftop solar. And so you're able to look at your membership and start to project out, you know, five, six, seven years down the road, who are going to be the prime customers uh, for these technologies. Start reaching out to them, start the education process, and really have this be a very positive engagement. Uh, and not have people get caught by surprise on this brand new technology that's that's pretty exciting. You mentioned some commonalities, managing the charging, um, looking at consumer segmentation. I'm really curious to know, you know, what have your findings been as you work with co-ops on their EV programs? Most people out there have never driven an EV. They've never had their rear in the seat behind the, the wheel of, of an EV. And we really see co-ops having programs that allow the members to come by and borrow the car being very successful. You, you need that firsthand experience. Uh, and then once you do that and you get people excited, you know, then the co-op has to, you know, a couple of different options. And that's where the, you know, the strategic plan comes into play. You know, one thing that co-ops can consider doing, and it's one of the things that we can help with, is with dealer engagement. Uh, we see that a lot of dealers aren't selling the cars and 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 really it's uh, because of a lack of knowledge and a little bit of fear of the unknown do do people in that area really want these cars so i think dealer engagement is a great opportunity and then also engaging the existing ev owners uh, where we've de uh, we have developed some tools uh, that can help the co-op find evs that are currently in the territory engage those owners identify pain points that they experienced in the past and try to avoid those pain points in the future. And those pain points are rarely with the utility, but there are programs that the co-op can put into place uh, to minimize those pain points, especially on the education front. And those are all things that uh, we've helped some co-ops with. And what we see at the end of the day, EV drivers are very happy with their vehicle choice. They're very passionate about the vehicle choice and they're very willing to work with the co-op to inform the rest of the membership about what the co-op is doing uh, to help EV owners on this path to adoption. Let's talk in a little bit more about what those major pain points might be, the hurdles. Sure, I, th I think number one, it's education. Most people have never seen or touched or driven an EV. You know, number two is how much is this thing going to cost to charge? Um, and that is really a, a, an area that the co-op can, can help a great deal with because there's so many different ways to go about charging an EV. Co-ops can be and are being very creative uh, with programs to help in uh, lowering the cost of EV charging. And then, you know, I think the other thing that we see is that uh, people are concerned uh, about the, the future offerings from, from the auto manufacturers. They're, they're concerned about, are they actually going to like the car? When you do get that opportunity to get behind the wheel, 
you discover how fun these cars are. And at the end of the day, these things are fun to drive. And that is very important to most American consumers is that their car is fun because we are very passionate about our vehicles in this country. Maybe you can give us a little color for how electric co-ops are thinking about that value proposition in developing an EV program. This is a new electric technology. So co-ops are going to be able to increase their sales. And what's nice about electric vehicles is that because of the nature of how the batteries can be charged, they can be charged in the middle of the night. So you're going to see um, a, a system improvement there. But also we have an engagement opportunity. You know, for the first time, we have an electric technology that people are passionate and they care about. Now you have the co-op uh, being able to uh, fuel your vehicle at a lower cost uh, than what you have with gasoline. And then beyond that, on fleet vehicles, now we're able to take diesel uh, school buses off the road. Uh, we're able to take uh, diesel tractor trailers off the road. Uh, a lot of those uh, facilities, the warehouses and those facilities are in uh, low income areas with high air pollution. We can now convert those trucks, uh, those buses uh, over to electric, have a significant improvement uh, to air quality. And that's only possible uh, because these technologies are going electric. So if we had to gauge sort of the success uh, that comes with these programs, what are some of the immediate considerations that you think um, come to the surface? If you're a suburban cooperative or if you're serving an interstate uh, exit, it might be uh, having public charging in the area. Uh, if you're in another type of cooperative, it will actually be putting cars in people's driveways. Uh, success is going to vary from co-op to co-op. And, and I think you know, that is one thing that a lot of folks are struggling with. Um, water heater programs, HVAC programs can be somewhat cookie cutter and can be transferable from one area of the country to another, but not so much with EVs, um, given the fact that there is a disparity in what is going on in the vehicle market in the United States. So I think when co-ops are looking at success, number one, you know, you get that plan in place, you start educating folks, you increase the visibility of electric vehicles within the community, you start to get folks excited, you start talking to your dealers, you get some of your dealers willing to put them on the lot uh, so folks can test drive them. And then over time, you start to see more and more of them on the road. You know, it's talking to your fleets, uh, getting your fleets interested in getting, you know, tractor trailers out on the road, getting buses out on the road. This is not a short program. Uh, the average car in the United States is 11 years old. So, and that's the second most expensive thing most people ever purchase in their life. So it's is really playing the long game. So don't expect to have an EV strategic plan today and have 200 EVs in your service territory next week. You know, it's gonna take a while, but it's gonna be well worth the effort when we look at the customer satisfaction levels of EV owners, they're very high. And the fact that this is going to have some very good system benefits for the co-op. Yeah. So it sounds like it's more of a marathon than a sprint, right? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a marathon. You know, this is a, not a short track race. This is 24 hours of Le Mans. Tamara, there's so many reasons to really like Brian but his enthusiasm about electric vehicles and, and his efforts to help rural electric co-ops 
Well, it's more than a little inspiring. No kidding. You know, planning for what appears to be a more electric future is going to be challenging. So it's great to have partners at NRECA that are not only committed to helping out, but they're passionate about their work. Hi, I'm Michael Anthos from CoBank Farm Credit Leasing. With today's ever-changing energy landscape, co-ops are evaluating ways to manage cash while continuing to meet their members' evolving needs for affordable, clean electricity. This is why more and more co-ops are taking advantage of leasing for their equipment needs. From electric vehicles and EV chargers to solar and batteries, CoBank Farm Credit Leasing can meet your financing needs while allowing you to make the most of your cash on hand. Contact your CoBank Relationship Manager for more information and a free quote today. You know, when we were planning for our EV podcast, which actually turned out to be two podcasts, we tossed around ideas for guests that were as excited as we were about this area and who had a clear message of guidance for rural co-ops. I've engaged with Reggie Goodale, the Director of Regulatory Affairs for the Iowa Association of Electric Co-ops, about his association's work with electric co-ops in Iowa as they gear up for electric vehicles, and I threw his name into the hat. And it was a good idea you did. I know that when you caught up with Reggie, um, you did so because you really wanted to understand what his organization in particular is doing to assist co-ops in the state of Iowa and what his advocacy has been in terms of helping at the state, local, federal levels uh, with really providing the kind of infrastructure and support for cooperatives. So here's that discussion you had with Reggie last month. From the perspective of the state of Iowa, how is the Iowa Energy Plan taken shape um, on the topic and role of importance of EVs? Our governor a few years ago, it's probably been six or seven years ago, they completed Iowa's energy plan in December of 2016. And as a piece of that energy plan, there is encouragement or a goal to encourage alternative fueled vehicles, of which that includes electric uh, vehicles in the process. And then we've moved on into the implementation phase of the Iowa energy plan. And that has involved some studies by the Iowa Department of Transportation on the issue of fuel use, uh, the taxes on fuel use for electric vehicles. And Iowa a few years ago here passed some legislation that uh, has electric vehicles paying their fair share for fuel use tax. So that issue has been dealt with. And then also within that legislation, electric vehicle charging stations, it was clarified that they're able to charge vehicles and sell to EV owners uh, electricity on a kilowatt hour basis for charging those. That was clarified. And, and then we've also seen some policy development in the executive branch at the Iowa Utilities Board as they look at policies and trying to balance the three critical public policies here in Iowa that are there with the governor's energy plan of one, encouraging electric vehicle charging stations and electric vehicles but also trying to respect Iowa's assigned service territory law. And then third policy, public policy that's at stake is the encouragement of alternative energy in Iowa. So balancing those three, as we see those uh, three technologies kind of converge together is, uh, is an important part for policy and the, the utilities as well as the EV charging stations and the EV owners as well. 
in a state like Iowa, biofuels have have long represented an important um, part of the economy, you know, whether it's biodiesel or whether it's ethanol. Um, Do you feel that EVs might find themselves at odds with with those two sectors, particularly the ethanol sector? So there is kind of a mix right now of different fuel sources. I would envision that kind of going forward to that mix may change, but I don't think we'll probably ever become dependent here in the near term on one particular fuel source. So I think there's space for all of those fuel sources in the economy, and we would like to see ethanol uh, be utilized to the maximum extent it can, but we would also like to see the promotion of electric vehicles as well. We don't think that the two are mutually exclusive by any means. What are some of the key ways you think that co-op CEOs, CFOs, that senior level staff can engage their board members uh, to educate them on the role that utilities find critical in moving the ball forward for EV adoption and, and accessibility. It seems our boards of directors for the electric cooperatives in Iowa in their daily lives with combines and tractors and things like that, they are exposed to technology changes and are adopting those in their businesses locally. And that brings a certain level of culture to the boardroom when it comes to technology for the cooperatives, whether it's AMI or electric vehicles or uh, heat pump water heaters or mini splits, regardless of what that technology is, it's a kind of a corporate culture that advances uh, investments and moves the co-op in a in a good positive way. We will, as electric co-ops, have member consumers who are very interested in electric vehicles, and, and as a result of that, I think if we all can be as educated as we possibly can and be a resource to the co-ops and to the member consumers for their decision making in this regard, it, it goes a long ways. That goes hand in hand with with what we often refer to as the seven cooperative principles, um, you know, and, and I think those do play a key role in in helping to deliver what those consumer members are looking for from their cooperative. When we talk about member engagement and why that's so important, uh, you know, those principles really come into into play. Um, from the EV perspective, how do you think those fit in with the cooperative principles and what should co-ops be considering when it comes to programs and outreach on EVs with their membership? Electric cooperatives live and live and die by the cooperative principles and, and EVs are no different. I think there are, in my mind, at least three key cooperative principles that come to mind for me as I look at electric vehicles, uh, the first of which is concern for community. As we, as electric cooperatives being local entities, making sure that our communities are not left behind, making sure that if we have member consumers who want to invest in electric vehicles, that there are charging stations available for those to charge their electric vehicles. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the electric co-op has to get out there and be investing in level the, the DC fast chargers and that, but helping to facilitate some of that investment in the communities and being involved in the planning process. So that's living that concern for community cooperative principle. I think another cooperative principle within the seven is the education and training principle of, again, the directors, the CEOs, the management team, the frontline employees, making sure we're all educated on electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging stations and and getting facts and information correctly and being able to respond in a timely manner to questions that anyone may have, whether it's member consumers or if it's us here at the statewide level responding to 
policymakers, whether they're in the executive branch or the legislative branch, that one education and training becomes very important. Cooperation among cooperatives is very important as we see the generation and transmission cooperatives uh, cooperating with the distribution co-ops and then other co-ops, whether it's financial type co-ops like CoBank or CFC, uh, cooperating with the cooperatives in that regard or the statewide associations providing their cooperation uh, or NRECA as well. So I think those are the three key principles. The other principles probably play some role, but those are the three that I would see as the key. Any other thoughts or any other things that you would probably um, share with with whoever our listeners might be uh, from the cooperative perspective on working with their statewide associations or or working with other co-ops and, and partners to um, find a, a strategy that works for their co-op? Yeah, I guess the, the one thing that I would say on, on this issue is with regard to any technological changes or any public policy changes that we see coming down the pike, we really have three opportunities uh, to deal with those. We can ignore those changes as they come forward, but oftentimes ignoring them is not a, uh, a viable option. We can fight those initiatives, and often that's not a viable option. So really the third option is to manage manage these changes. And I think the electric co-ops are doing a good job in managing the transition to EVs and the challenges that are associated with it. In that area of managing will be price signals on on, uh, EV charging and that and making sure we're sending the right price signals to those entities that want to charge electric vehicles at the times of day that we need. And, And that kind of comes back to the cooperation among cooperatives too, with the rate structures between the distributions and the G&Ts and working to move in a direction that sends that proper price signal and advancing this technology in an appropriate way. That was a really good conversation. As part of Iowa's energy plan, our co-ops were at the table years ago and included plans for electric vehicles. I don't think we can emphasize enough how important it is for our co-ops to envision and plan for a future where an increasing number of vehicles on the road will be electric. And maybe, more to the point, where their go-to fill-up service station will be their local electric co-op. You know, I'm certain our customers are going to bring their A-game to the table. But it's always great to have a clear vision of what the industry best practices might look like. For our second podcast coming on later this month, we caught up with Carl Popham. He's the manager of the Electric Vehicle and Emerging Technologies program at Austin Energy. Carl was brought on that program to start up the EV program, and it's a really exciting one. In fact, Austin Energy was recognized as Plug in America's Drive Electric Utility of the Year. Our big emphasis now is to get past that early adopter phase and really move into mainstream. If you typically look at hype cycles and adoption, you want to get about 3% of the market, and that's where really will you see that hockey stick acceleration. I hope that all of you will join us again late this month as Carl lets us look under the hood of Austin Energy's incredible EV program. That's right. We're going to make a certified 45-point inspection of Austin's electric vehicle program in a few weeks. Hope to see you then.